Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I love your pocket. This is gold. This is where it's at. What is up? Happy Monday. I am so excited to release this episode to you guys. In this episode, I sit down with the one and only Lisa Jacobs from Imagine It Done. Lisa's story is incredible. She's a mover, a shaker, and a professional organizer. Yes, you heard me right, a professional organizer. She is the founder of Imagine It Done. Before this episode, I had no idea organizing was even a profession, let alone a business, let alone an incredible business. Lisa Jacobs founded Imagine It Done, a New York-based professional organization lifestyle company. After moving countless times throughout her life, Lisa discovered her ability to organize whatever chaos came her way. Her talent for packing, unpacking, and arranging became her passion, her obsession, and she turned it into a business of her own. Lisa's mantra is designed for function. And she truly believes that her team can help people live a better, more cleansed, more fulfilled life by helping them to organize their home and their space to be used in the most functional way possible. Now, I have to tell you, I was so excited to sit down with Lisa and record this episode. Again, I had no idea that organizing was a profession, let alone a business, and she totally blew my mind. There are so many people who will listen to this episode and so many people that I've connected with over the years are like, I have the best idea. I have so many ideas. This would be a great business. Lisa had no business experience. That's right. Zero business experience. And she turned her passion into an incredible, incredible business, working with amazing people all over the tri-state, New York-based area. Now with all the chaos and, and COVID, She's taken the business virtual and is doing virtual consultations. This episode is incredible. If you're thinking of starting a business, if you have a business idea, or if you just want to hear an incredible story of someone who turned their adversity into building a life that they love. In this episode, there are so many bits of gold, both about life and business. And for anyone also looking for functional tips around how to arrange your home, rearrange your home, get organized, create some peace, some tranquility, and all the chaos in your rooms, in your closets, this episode is for you. So with that, tune in and enjoy this episode with Lisa. This is one of my favorites and so excited for you to listen. Tune in, enjoy. Lisa, welcome welcome to the show. Organizational guru who's transformed the most envious closets, refrigerators, pantries all over Manhattan. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I can't wait to talk to everyone. Oh, I love it. So I've been really looking forward to this podcast. I have to say, I promised my sister, both my sisters, before I kick off the show, they are both huge fans of yours. And they're like, can I come into the room when you're recording? 
I just want to say hi. Just want to listen. Please, please, please. So they're extremely jealous that we get to spend this, this, uh, the next hour together. Oh, that's great. I hope that I could share some tips with them. Yeah. So we all normally live in the city. We've all come back to my childhood home where we grew up. And this is where we grew up. It's where my parents lived. And we were planning to put our house in the market like pre-corona. Corona hits. We're all like, let's get out of Manhattan. We live right by the beach in Long Island. So we're like, it's a great place to be able to go to the beach. It's great during the summer. We've been reorganizing, cleaning, etc. our house. So I'm looking to apply a lot of the things in this episode, both to the house and then to our, to our life. Oh, it's too bad we can't do a virtual tour. Oh, we might, we might have to. <laughs> so I have so many questions for you in researching your story, your journey. But just to, to bring it back, how does one become a professional organizer? How did you start? What was your initial inspiration for, for starting your business? The way I started my business, quite frankly, is so different than the way somebody would begin nowadays. Because when I started the business, it was not a notable profession. Whereas now it is. So there's definitely formats to the way somebody would begin now. There's so much on social media that talks about organizing. So many organizers nationally to get in touch with, organizations to get in touch with. When I began, I began with a passion for organizing not even knowing that it was going to be a business, not even realizing that I was enterprising on something that was going to take the world by storm. So I began doing something that I love to do. And I set it up slowly, not understanding how to actually create a business model. So what I did was I began just organizing, which is what I did day to day in my life anyway, And I started to realize that people really liked organizing. So I did it in a very small way. I did it with neighbors. I did it with people that were shop owners. When people were moving, I really did not format it until actually a year after I started doing it locally. Nowadays, to become a professional organizer, you can ask a lot of questions to a lot of experts because there's so many. So through social media, you can actually figure out the direction and the path that you want to take. There's an organization, quite frankly, this is how I actually, what I did, I reached out at the very beginning to this organization. Somebody told me about it, and it's called NAPO, the National Association for Professional Organizers. Wow. And through this organization, you can actually find out about the different areas of organization that are available. And online courses. So there's really formats that will help you to become a professional organizer. Aside from all the details in trying to establish yourself as a professional, what I suggest everybody to do, because everybody thinks that if they're organized, they could be a professional organizer. So what I suggest people to do is to realize that being a professional organizer means that you're working for other people to help other people manage their lives, their space. And you've got to realize that it's not just about the way you do things and if you're accurate and efficient in organizing. It's about how can you relate to people and do you want to actually work for somebody and deal with what they need to have done? So you have to lose your ego at the door. You can't think that your way is the best way or it's my way or the highway. It's not Mm. like that. You're working for somebody else 
You've got to be very forgiving, understanding. You can't be dictative. You have to understand that this is a psychological relationship that you're almost going to have because organization is something that is meant to change people's lives. Well, that's the way I do it. I like to think that what I'm doing is helping people in their space, thus changing their life. I love that. So if you realize what your your goals are and how much work you want to put into it, work for other people that are organizers, and that's the best way to understand whether or not this is for you. Because believe you me, I've had so much staff come to me thinking that they are, oh, I'm so good at it. I know how to organize. My friends tell me I'm so good. I've been doing this since I'm a little kid. My mother used to love it that I organized (laughs) my closet. Then I take them on site and they flip out because it's dealing with people not liking what you're going to do or challenging you in your routines and the way you do things. And not only that, it's being respectful of somebody else's home. So there's a lot more that meets the eye. Yeah, I can totally understand that and appreciate that. I recently, I guess almost almost a year ago, I moved in with my fiance. We moved into a studio and obviously we're dealing with a small space to start. But just alone, how she wanted things set up versus how I wanted things set up versus how her mom imagined things to be set up. My sisters came in, they said, oh, you should set it up this way. My uncle came in, you set it up this way. And everyone had different opinions. And it was interesting to see. And it definitely caused some friction with everyone. Oh, that makes no sense. Why do you have it set up that way? What would be your, I guess I'm just curious on on this topic, your advice to couples, roommates in terms of organizing and getting like a new apartment or a home set up when you have roommates or someone that you're sharing the space with? Well, you have to respect everybody's space. And just because you're rooming with somebody doesn't mean, I'm not, I'm not really relating this to your situation whatsoever. <laughs> I'm just talking about in generalities. Some people don't like organization. Like some people can function and I shouldn't say don't like organization. Maybe their methods are different than yours. So I think first and foremost, you both have to discuss the way in which you both like to live before you even think about methods and systems. Like how do you like to live? Maybe somebody says, you know what, I cannot compromise my bathroom or I can't compromise this closet. I want to have my things. This is the way I've always lived. Well, these are the things that you got to discuss, by the way, before you even decide to move in with somebody. <laughs> like, this, is not, this is like, you know, before you get married, you don't first talk about whether or not you want a family. Like, these, are the, <laughs> these are the non-negotiables. You've got to discuss this before you're moving in with somebody. And then if everything is fine and you both like, like a neat home, let's just say, because if somebody is a real slob and you are a real neatnik or organized person, that's going to be challenging. That is a major challenge. So if you're willing to accept that challenge, know it from the, the beginning. Like, don't go into it. And sharing space is compromising your lifestyle. I mean, it's just, you've got to be understanding that everybody wants, like you said, certain things differently. And it's not really rocket science. Like you don't have to be, well, this is the way I want it. If you're like that, then you shouldn't be in a relationship and you shouldn't (laughs) be with the person because no matter who you're with, whether it be, you know, a partner or whether it be just a roommate temporarily, you have to know that you're sharing space. That word sharing space is synonymous with compromise. Yeah, it's definitely tough in Manhattan, New York City, just your space is typically limited from the get go. It's very funny just that we're on this topic, because the way my apartment studio is set up, 
the TV, where, where we were going to put the TV was such a talking point because the way the, the lights were mounted on the walls, it appeared the TV should go like center in between the lights. But the way the room was set up, it really made – like it looked better to the eye to be center with the lights. But it really looked like when you sat on the couch, it didn't make sense for it to be center with the lights because your head was on an, on an angle, a weird angle watching it. But I could see just from the get-go, like, wow, it would have been great to have you through that experience. <laughs> yeah. And you have to like also like if you've got certain things that you know are better, like you know for a fact that this is more efficient, there's a way to translate that to the person that you're with rather than be, you know, like a dictator and, you know, my way is the highway kind of thing. Like, just talk about it. That's the way to always affect a solution in life, no matter what it is. Just discuss it. Well, this is the way I feel. Like, let's just try this. And this is why I feel this way. Instead of saying, well, nope, you know, this is, <laughs> this is it. And this is what we do with our clients. Because I always feel also that people know what they don't want but they don't know what they do want in life. Mm. So what we do is rather than ask a client, because it gets very frustrating when somebody doesn't really have an understanding about a situation, rather than the, asking them, well, well, do you like your pants hung or do you like them folded? That's like a, a perfect example. Well, they don't know because they've never had it hung or folded. Maybe they've had it just thrown on the floor or maybe they put it in a drawer. So what you do is you give them choices and that's the way to proceed always when you're in a situation where you're trying to affect a change with somebody. Don't make it like, well, this is the way it's got to be. These are the choices. And yeah, then you absolutely. come to the solution. I'm just thinking of my own experience. I moved in this apartment about a year ago. I had so many voices from both my fiance's family, my family, and then friends would come in and be like, oh, it doesn't make sense to set it up that way. How do you navigate when dealing with all the voices? I'm assuming just from my own experience, like it was ultimately our space, myself and my fiance, but there were a lot of voices in the process in setting up our, our space. Well, first of all, if it's just your space with one partner, it's just about you and your partner. There is no reason why other people, yeah, they can have opinions. Of <laughs> yeah, course. everyone but has the, one. <laughs> everyone has an opinion. But at the end of the day, it's about you living in that space. Yeah. And I suggest if you've got two different opinions, I think the best thing to do is listen to both, try both ways. Because again, what I said is a lot of people realize what they don't like. They don't know what they do like. So when you give them choices, then it's much easier to make a final decision. That makes sense. You know how I always parallel it is like when you walk into a store and for this is such a good example, like a woman walks into a store and says, I mean, you know, I need a black dress. Well, the salesperson has like a million things going through their head. Well, what kind of black dress? Does, what's the material? What is the, the, the length? What are, is, are there sleeves? Is it a low neck? Is it strapless? Is it backless? How much do you want to spend? The more information that you give to somebody the more precise they're going to be in their answer. But the person giving that information, when they say they want a black dress, well, the person says, well, if it's, you know, for the nighttime, well, what kind of dress do you want? This, the person going into the store is going to say, I don't know. Like, I don't know. You're the expert. You're supposed to tell me. Yeah. So that's why you, the more information we give a client, the more decisive they become and give choices. That's the key. Give choices. And if there's a lot of different opinions, then like we have a lot of situations where the husband and the wife disagree. 
So what we do is we go, okay, fine, kid. This is the way we're going to set it up. Look, this is going to work for you, the husband, but I'm going to show you how your wife wants it. And at least they get to see what you're talking about rather than be like, nope, this is what your wife wants. We're not going to do it. We give choices so that it becomes, yeah, it becomes a, you know, a mutual decision-making process. Have you ever had a stalemate where it's just like two completely, uh, no, this is how, this is how I want it done. Yeah. Okay. So in that case, what we'll do is we'll do what we, as the experts, because at the end of the day, we'll say, look, you hired us because you know that we know what we're doing mm. or else you wouldn't have hired us. So you're paying us. Let us do it the way we think is the most sensible. And you live with it for a while. And if you don't like it, we're still here. We're not going away. We'll come back and we'll change it. I love that. I want to go backwards just a bit. What year did you start your business? Formally started in 2004. When did you start doing like this type of work in 2003? I started actually working for people in uh, 2003. Yeah. I guess I want to hear about what was the first time you helped someone organize and was it more as like a friend helping a friend or were you charging? Were you looking at it as a business or you were just doing this sort of in your spare time? I want to hear more about how you started this, this business. Well, interestingly enough, like um, I dove right into it before I actually incorporated and I didn't even have a name. I had somebody tell me that knew me and what I did. And what I was starting to do and was interested in doing as, you know, an organization, somebody said, you know, I have somebody that's, I know somebody that's moving and they really need an organizer. I had not done one project professionally at all. As I said, I didn't even have a name. I called a girlfriend of mine who also loved organization. And I said, let's do it. I had no clue. (laughs) And this was like, this is great because this is like, you know, sometimes you just got to dive in, you know, sometimes. People overthink things a lot of times. And I think that that's like another takeaway is that like, sometimes just do it, you know, because the more you think, the more your mind like just tells you stories. So I actually worked with her. We moved somebody from one home, not even an apartment. This was in Long Island, one home to another home. And it was wild. And because I had done, I had done this so many years because I had moved my kids and my family so many times, like I knew what I was doing, but I just did not formalize it like in the way that of course I'm doing now. And it actually worked out really, really well. We moved them into the house and everything worked out really fantastic. I mean, was I nervous? You know, I was nervous, but like, as I said, I kind of knew what I was doing. It wasn't like I was all of a sudden like, um, Somebody asked me to help them, like, you know, do accounting for them. Like I was doing something that I was actually always doing in my life. So I didn't take it as seriously, even though I did charge them. And Mm. how did I charge them? I I actually just asked another person what their fee was, somebody that was doing it professionally, and just, you know, did competitive pricing. And that was it. The thing is, it gave me confidence. I always say the hardest part is the beginning and the anticipation is worse than the event. (laughs) I love that. At that point, what was the landscape like? Were there a lot of people in this business or not, not quite yet? It's interesting you ask because no, not at all. It's crazy. I mean, literally in the 1990s, I mean, maybe there were like 100 organizers around the country, like, but they weren't even called professional organizers. (laughs) They were like, honestly, they were, you know, people just doing things. And I don't even know 
I don't know the statistics, but I do know that the landscape was bare, very bare. So, you know, I, a lot of people have dreams. They have goals as it relates to business. And from what I understand, you didn't have like a formal business background by, by any means. A lot of people who listen to this are probably like, you know, you taught yourself essentially how to build this business. And there wasn't really a market leader or really anyone in the space where you were like, I can copy this model and just do things our way, my system, et cetera. So how did you go about actually creating a system, creating a business? And I love when, you know, my guests on the show do brag sort of around their their accomplishments in the business. For anyone listening, maybe you can even share some of the the high level like your proudest accomplishments because you know you've you've built an incredible business and I I'd love to highlight that on this episode. Yeah, so the thing is number 1 there's a word called risk, two words, risk taking. I've always been a risk taker in my life. I always did things where I didn't think too much about what the consequences or the outcome was going to be. I just did it because it felt like the right thing to do. Now, don't get me wrong. This mindset may not be applicable to today's world. It worked for me then because the world that I grew up in at that point was a much simpler. There was no social media. There was not a lot of information unless you went out to get it. So the way I started with the passion, the guts, the risk-taking, it enabled me to actually navigate the waters, navigate this industry by doing my own research. This is something that I really, I impart to my kids and they're not kids, they're adults now. They know that if you want something, yeah, there's a lot of people that that are handed things in life and can actually achieve by giving things. At the end of the day, you're so much more successful, evolved and respected. If you work, you take the stairs, There's no elevator to success. That's another expression I use to my kids all the time. There is no elevator. You know what? You've got to take the stairs. And if you want to hear yes, you've got to hear no. And I've heard a lot of no's. And in the first five years of my business, I didn't even understand technology. This was when not everybody had a computer. We had some cell phones, but they were way bigger. My computer (laughs) was Microsoft, but I didn't even know how to do anything. Didn't take pictures digitally. I actually printed out my own photos. I learned everything by making a lot of mistakes, but never losing confidence in myself. I had a lot of clients that intimidated me. I just did not stop and go. I just knew that this is my personality. I wanted to be a business person. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I did, I researched, I went through at this time, there was, as I said, no social media. I didn't even understand marketing. How am I going to get my name out there? I made so many mistakes, spent so much wasted money on marketing companies. And I learned from people constantly getting information by just sourcing it, by reading. The first thing that actually gave me a sense of camaraderie and understanding that this is a business that is here to stay was actually subscribing to that NAPO company, the National Association for Professional Organizers, which I thought was a big joke when somebody told me about (laughs) it, that there's actually an association for this. I went to conferences and then they actually had chapters in the community. I listened to other people and I, I was very different than most of the people that I surrounded myself with, but we all had the same thing in common. We loved organization. 
and we wanted to make it our profession. So the more that I researched, the more that drove me and the more confidence I got. And you know what? No matter how many times I got set back and no matter how many times I felt intimidated, that's how much better I got. It's the scar tissue that led me to where I am. And I really respect others that start by doing things themselves and not by asking others for handouts. And can you just tell me like how to do this? You know what? There are rules and there are different systems that I can advise people with, but I really believe that you've got to do things yourself to really be successful. Figure it out yourself and be willing to be shot down a lot of times. You know, there's really, there are recipes for success. The best advice is to just learn things yourself because everybody also is going to be doing things differently. You know, I mean, I even import that information to my clients when they tell me, when I ask them, when I go into somebody's home, like, how do you want to set this up? How do you want to set that up? And they'll go, do whatever you say. You're the expert. Whatever you say, we're going to do. I said, no, no, no. That's a recipe for disaster. This is a team. Like we're doing this together. Mm. So you've got to give me information about your life. I have to see things the way you like to live. And then I'll figure it out. The way I live is, is not necessarily the way you're going to live. So getting back to your main question about how I started, it's very different today than it is years ago. It's a lot easier. But the main thing, takeaway here is nobody is going to take you by the hand anymore and make you an organizer. Even if you go and, and do courses, you've got to get out there. You've got to have guts. You've got to prove yourself. Yeah. And now it's much easier with the social media because you can actually see what's competitively happening all around the world with organization. And another thing is that I did read a lot of books, but books were a very important source for education. You know, in the 1990s and early 2000s, there were still people subscribing to reading. I don't believe reading now is effective. I think that you've just, you've got to do it. And through mm. doing it, you'll learn. Yeah, you need to get your hands hands dirty and dive in and just get, get after whatever you want to pursue and sort of see, see what happens once you take the first step. Yeah, exactly. And again, if you want to hear yes, you got to hear no. Was there any point in the process when you were first starting in the earlier days where you were discouraged and you were like, mm, or you, you never really reached that point? Even I'm sure you had plenty of points of frustrations and things that like that along your journey while you were learning things. Did you ever reach a point or you were really committed to this and your mindset was like, I'm going to make it happen no matter what? Um, about three years into being an organizer, I had a job in Manhattan with a very famous person. I wasn't prepared formally in the setup of my business with NDAs and all this because it took me quite a while to format my business in the way that now I'm very much an entrepreneur and also set up formally with codes and things like that. I worked my tush off. I did whatever I was requested to do with an assistant. At the end of the project, she did not pay me. Hmm. I literally like lost my breath. Like I did not know how to deal with this. And the reason why I actually behave like this is because I let somebody intimidate me without being confident enough to debate and go against what she was doing and, and prove myself as a professional. I let somebody intimidate me. 
and I learned a very hard lesson, which is like, if you're in a situation in life, the minute you give up your self-worth and respect for yourself is the minute you lose and you can't win an argument on emotion. So I did not know how to professionally prove myself. And when she saw that weakness that I showed, she like gobbled me up Mm. and I never got paid for the project. I didn't know how to deal with it. This is another life lesson. As you are getting involved in a business and you really want to be taken seriously, you have to know the rules and you also have to know that the minute you give into terrorism with a client is the minute you lose the battle. (laughs) So you always have to stay confident that you are the professional. Other than that particular project, no matter how many times I felt discouraged or at a loss or I didn't understand something, I figured it out. Because mm. again, I, that's my personality. I don't mind being attacked anymore. And I also don't mind challenge. Yeah. You know, when you're starting out your own business, there's going to be a lot of challenges. There's going to be financial challenges. There's going to be, it's going to affect your family. There's a lot of things that go into starting your own business. And, you know, I didn't have anybody to really help me out. So I just had to rely on myself. And again, challenges are okay. And setbacks are okay. Get back up. And as long as you have the money to sustain, because of course, financial situations (laughs) come into play here, then just get back up and go, go, keep going. Don't stop at go. Absolutely. I, I love that. I always say it's very hard when things are moving fast and you're winning to take in and recognize like what's going on. I always find it's more difficult to take in the lessons from the wins, but the burns when you get knocked down, when you're losing, the things that sting you are the things where hopefully you're able to take those stings, those burns and learn from it and say, I'm not going to let that one happen again. I always say you want to be knocked down, but you don't want to be knocked out. Yeah, that's excellent. That is a perfect expression. And the other expression that parallels that is leaders are born in times of peace rather than times of war. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And so you got to get accustomed to that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure. So after that, I'm assuming you, you had put some system in place to make sure wherever the weakness was or wherever the hole was in your business, that that wouldn't happen again. Oh, yeah. And you know, the thing is, again, nobody gave me the formats, how to open the business, what to do, all the documents that you need, all of these things to protect yourself. You're dealing with people. You've got to protect yourself not only as a, a business, but also just, you know, personally, you know, lawsuits and things like that. There's so much that goes into it. And then in developing a staff, I had to set it up differently. And then you have a payroll. All of these things, I didn't have a business manager. In other words, I was the creator. I'm the one with the idea, okay? I was the one that is the creative force behind Imagine It Done. Then another thing that I learned through the years, hire people smarter than yourself in the areas that you're not as efficient. Absolutely. Let them drive it. I want to dive into that. I'm so amazed at how you were able to go from, again, you know, you just decided you were going to pursue this because I know a lot of people who are going to jobs they don't like. They're sort of living lives that they don't love and they're doing work that doesn't make them come alive. And you decided, I'm just going to make this happen. And with no formal business background, that's exactly what you did. With that, what was the experience like going from, okay, I'm organizing these people's homes. I'm coming in, I'm, I'm helping them. How did you start to build the business in terms of scaling, in terms of you have staff, et cetera? How do you start to put those systems and processes in place and also, I guess, start to, 
I'm assuming you you either replicated sort of your role as the organizer or put more systems in place. What what was that experience like? So believe it or not, it wasn't until the last, I'd say like uh, six years where I started to hire people, but everybody was staff. I've never had employees, you know, salary or full-time employees because it was all on a freelance basis. Mm. And it was not until the last five, six years where my son came into the business and he has the business background. And he as a restaurateur said, and having been in hospitality for so many years, you know, you're not going to make money, mom, unless you scale this business. I didn't even understand what that meant. And I learned with, in working with him what scaling a business means, how to charge, how to set it up with staff. What does the staff do? How to protect yourself, how to set up a payroll. So again, it was, and I really believe this is part of creating a successful business is you're good at one thing. Nobody's good at everything. So you have to bring people in that are more expert in another dimension of your business to make it successful. So that's when we started actually together learning how to scale my business. And that has changed a thousand percent the dynamic of Imagine It Done. For mm. Even aside from social media, even if it were not for social media, it was scaling my business so that everything was formatted to succeed. The key is understanding if you really want to be a successful business, you have to understand that there is business models in scaling your business, how to succeed. Now, understand also that before I did that, I was successful in my own way. I wasn't successful so much on paper. I just was successful because I was helping other people. So I did not start off by knowing that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I did it because I loved it. And people will say, would say to me often, like, well, where do you go from here? What are you going to do, you know, in the next five years in organizing? Are you going to write books? Are you going to do talking engagements? Are you going to hire more staff? Are you going to charge more money? I had no clue. Like, oh, you know what? I'm kind of just enjoying what I'm doing. Mm. I still was raising my kids. I didn't think of it as being this big business. A lot also has to do with when you're ready. Like you don't go into business and think of it as being a big business unless you're ready to establish it as a big business. And by the way, not everybody wants to establish a passion and something they do well and do as a little side business to be a big business. Oh, I love that so much. I really love everything you just said. It's interesting because I've found in my own experience, I've been an entrepreneur since I'm 14. I've played around in, in numerous businesses at this point. And it's funny, every time I I start a new project, people are fast to chase after you and say, what is it? Is it a big business? Is it a small business? Is it a side project? Is it a hustle? And they try to categorize what you're doing and put it in a box. And sometimes, you know, I found, especially in the more recent years, I don't need to put it in a box. It can be a project. It can be a business. It really can be whatever I want it to be as me being the creator. And I, I found at least that social circles, that friends even if it's coming from a good place, maybe it's coming from a bad place. It can come from a different place for everyone, but people try to put it in a box and say, what are you doing and what's the point? I'm curious, when, when you were starting it, it sounds like you know you really just had a passion and really had an enjoyment in, in doing it. Were you thinking in, in the early days, 
I'm going to make money doing this? Or were you, were you like, I want to just pursue this because I, I genuinely enjoy it. It's something I love. And hopefully I can make some money along the way. What was like your, your thought process? Well, once I started doing this work for other people, yeah, I did expect that I was you know, going to make money. And the way, again, like I attached fees to it, like I didn't know what to do. I just, I looked at what competitively other people were charging. You know, I, at that time I had also connected with other organizers. But again, for many years, I did what I loved without, yes, making money. That was important to me because I really believe that you should be rewarded financially if you're working professionally. Absolutely. If you're doing something in someone's home, like, you know, that's, that's worthy of it because you're, you're being hired. So I did expect to get paid. But again, I didn't have a crystal ball. I did not even think to have a crystal ball until it just organically happened where I moved into the city. My kids did not need me anymore to be around full time. That's when I started to dedicate myself to even opening up the world to know like this is a business. People are doing this. They're doing this in a big way. Again, speaking to a lot of different people and, and figuring out what division even of organization is my expertise. Mm. I didn't even know where to go. Sometimes it is an organic thing that just happens. I think sometimes you have to just start off by seeing before you even formalize anything into a business, even if you know that this is your passion. Again, like you have to realize like there's so much that goes into it. Just do it and decide whether or not this is something worthy of a business. Is it worthy of your full-time dedication? Or do you just want to make this just like do it a hobby for a while and see if it floats your boat? Then figure it out from there. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about your process, your system, dive into a little bit of the meat and potatoes of, of your process. So with that, maybe you could share a little bit. Like You go into a home. What's your process look like specifically? Well, okay, so in formalizing Imagine It Done in the last five years, we have changed formats many, many times, by the way, because the larger we get and the more complicated our work is, we have defined things along the way. So now I have people that have specific roles within my organization and we have formats. We don't answer a phone and just speak to people that have, you know, the number where to call to schedule consultations. Everything goes through email and people find us through our social platforms. So they're finding us on Instagram and they're finding us on Facebook and they're finding us on our website. And through that, we get inquiries. So the inquiries will come to Imagine It Done's email. And from that point, we have a breakdown of fees that is already templated. Mm. And that breakdown of fees based on what Imagine It Done does and what our fees are for the services are emailed to the prospective client. If they want to proceed, then we will have another email. And in that other email, if they say, fine, your rates are fine with me, then that next email will talk about what their specific needs are, whether it be a, just a refresh, whether it be a move-in, whether it be a downsizing, whether it be a pack-up, whether it be full-out organization. They explain to us what their needs are. Then we schedule a consultation. And from the consultation, there's two people that go to the consultation. And from the consultation, they determine and we determine 
by us giving them our inf- certain information about how we think we can help them. And by taking photographs, now we have all of the information necessary to proceed. And so does the client. Sometimes clients say, you know what, this is not for me. I don't really need this. And if they like what they see and they like our relationship and we get along well and we give them the right information, then they go, okay, fine, let's make a proposal. So we make a proposal based on what the space is and what their needs are. And from the proposal, if they like that, they sign on. And it's even more complicated than that because there's payment schedule that is also is enforced within all the documents that we're sending. Like they have to pay for the consultation in advance. They have to pay 50% for the project in advance. But again, every single thing is formatted with every bit of information you have to know about Imagine It Done. And scheduling is very specific. Who's coming to the project is specific. When the final payment is made and a client agreement is signed, the client knows everything that Imagine It Done is going to do. We even have product in advance that is ordered to provide for the organizational process. Mm. So there are so many steps that go into the actual on-site organization. Now, imagine it done since we're not able, you know, legally permitted since March to go on-site. What we've been doing is we've been offering virtual consultations, which we'll continue to offer, by the way, even after, because the virtual consultation is great for people that don't want to pay for on-site a full day or a full week, whatever it is of organization, virtually, we can walk them through their space and help them just by virtually speaking with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's also great for people that are not that we can't get to because of location. I was just going to say that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, people around the world, basically, they get, you know, let's face it, Instagram reaches the world. Yeah. So we we can have a virtual consultation. I'm a virtual appointment, organizational appointment with a client by just working with them and we seeing their space, we can even get them product and we can even tell them how to organize it virtually. But again, the process is very specific. We did not template according to other organizers. I have no idea the way organizers actually work. We're very, (laughs) very specific, very to the point where, you know, I've got insurance. There's a lot that goes into my day-to-day operation. It sounds like all the jobs are are like pretty much highly customized to the individual or the person's needs. Is there a system though, that when you enter the actual person's home, is there a system you use to work through cleaning out and organizing that room? Yes. What we'll do is let's just say that it's, it's, it's very rare that it's just a room, by the way. Okay. I mean, maybe it's a studio apartment, but like it's typically people that are going to hire Imagine It Done realize that it's not just one room. For example, let's just say it's a three-bedroom apartment. Nobody's going to hire us just to do the bedroom because (laughs) it's not not cost-effective because they've got to pay for so much besides just like on-site, the hours that we get there. There's organizational accessories that go into it. And also there's something that organization, people don't realize with organizations, when you organize one space, you typically will find things in that one space that belong in another space. Therefore, Mm. you've got to organize the space that that stuff is going into. I was going to ask if there was like a most common room or like a closet that you're hired for, but I guess it's, it's much broader than that. You're, you're doing multiple rooms at a, at a time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for virtual, it's sensible to do it one room. Yes. But it's basically not just one space, but again, like, let's just say it's the entire apartment. We have a game plan before we walk in. 
and we've already been there, by the way, we take very, very specific photos of the entire space. Even if the client says, I only want my master bedroom done, we'll take pictures of the entire apartment because we have to have it on record for liability, number one, and also because, as I said, many times it's not just the one apartment. But we always have a game plan. We don't walk in aimlessly and go, mm, let's see, where should we start? We know just what we're going to do. And we already have consulted with the client to make sure that our game plan coincides with what she wants, he wants done. Yeah, makes complete sense. I'm curious, is there like um, a common myth about your profession or your field that you want to debunk? Well, I think that one of the myths is that organization there are rules to organization, but it is highly exclusive to a client's needs. Mm. So people have to be very careful when they see things, for instance, on Instagram, on Pinterest, that they love and they want to duplicate it. They have to realize it's like going to a hairstylist and bringing the hairstylist a picture of a celebrity that they want to look like. <laughs> I mean, like, you've got to be realistic about who you are, what your lifestyle is, how much money you're going to want to spend. Like, you just cannot look at social media and try to imitate what you see. The room might be beautiful, but like, you know, that's not going to fit in your lifestyle. I'm curious, if you're going into a home that's already furnished, etc., how often are you doing that versus going into like a clean, like new apartment, new home, nothing's in it, and you have more input as it relates to the design because obviously if you have constraints to like i'm looking at my room and there's furniture here so i have constraints sort of to the furniture i already have right versus obviously having like a, a blank canvas to work off of no that's a great question well we handle obviously we handle everything we work with interior designers we work with the architects so in those cases we're very involved in the development like i've been working for over a year with an architect for a very large apartment, so much is being built out and they need my advice in organization of certain rooms because the build outs will dictate how the client's going to be organized. Most, I would say more often than not though, we are dealing with spaces that have already been set up. Mm. It is better if we deal with the setup with the designer and with the architects, no question about it. Because again, we don't have those obstacles. If a client hires us just to do organization, we will also give a lot of advice about furnishings if they don't have an interior designer, because we also have a very keen eye about designing, creating a specific design based on organizational furnishings that work for them. And even if it's not organization oriented, we will partner with an interior designer so that everything works out well. And if we can't, we work within the perimeter of what we have in the space with the furniture. There's always solutions. Yeah. Always. I'm imagining in my head, like buying a new home and having the architect, the, the interior designer and you all collaborate and what that home would look like based on the, the pictures and the videos on your Instagram. And it's like, oh, the house would probably be a majestic, like amazing. <laughs> well, it is very exciting when you start from the very beginning. No question about it. Yeah. I have one friend whose home is just like perfectly organized. And I remember going to the kitchen and it's it looks like your Instagram where you open up a drawer and everything is um, like so perfect. I know I mentioned when we spoke for the first time, it's very soothing to the mind, the, the body, and just like very relaxing to be living in, in that sort of environment. 
I read in doing some research that you believe a, a more fulfilled life can successfully be achieved by following your tried and true methods, edit, purge, categorize, organize, and curate. And you had mentioned right. those are the steps from what I read necessary to change one space and eventually one's life. Have you applied a similar process to any other areas of your life outside of, of organizing? I would say with those specific processes you're talking about, yeah, because that relates specifically to space, mm. space and things. So those processes, I can dissect it. Yeah, I can take away, like for instance, the edit. I edit every single day of my life. It doesn't have to be just specific to organizing my home, organizing, you know, a, a full out organizational process. So edit is something that I think people should, if you're going to extract those different processes and words, edit is something that you can apply towards your mail. You know, okay. And, you know, seriously, and as far as like edit, you can apply towards your mail, the word personalize in our curation process, I think I should highlight that because that is something that getting back to the fallacy of organization, personalization is something that people should really do more often in their day-to-day -day life, which means they should look at themselves for who they are and don't compare yourself and aspire to be other people. Be happy and good within yourself and adjust your life and live your life for your needs and yourself. Mm. So that is a big takeaway here is that you can take away like that personalization and apply it to your day-to-day -day life. You could curation is basically all about just how you look day-to-day. -day. You can curate your look, you know, so all of these little things mean something else in other parts of your life. I think by categorizing things, you're just actually, instead of looking at everything that you're doing day to day and trying to get everything done, categorize and prioritize. So everything has meaning elsewhere, not all together. As I said, dissect those words and use them in other parts of your life. That makes sense. I feel a lot of people right now, these are crazy, bizarre times with the coronavirus as I mentioned at the beginning of the call, I'm living with both my sisters, all our significant others. We're six people in a house. People have unique setups, living situations right now because of the pandemic. Any advice for people that are feeling extra disorganized during this time? And I guess what small step can the audience take away in regards to where they can begin getting organized? So I always suggest you begin if you want to do it, if you want to start to get organized, begin in a space that is actually the most overwhelming for you. Again, like don't look at what other people are doing. If you, for instance, have the master bedroom closet, which is like the actual focal point of your day-to-day -day life, you live in it, you, you, you know, go in and out of it a hundred times and it is completely disorganized, that's where you begin. If you've got a whole family and you're in the kitchen 80% of the day with your family and your kitchen is completely a mess, that's where you begin. Mm, that's where we need to start. <laughs> yeah. If you work from home, you work from home and you're in your office nonstop, that's where you begin. So I'm not saying you only should do one space, but the first space you do is the space that overwhelms you the most. Did you ever go into a home? I understand from everything you've said, there's a lot of prep work, et cetera, but I'm just curious, 
was there ever a room that you went into or home you went into and you were like, whoa, this is the most disorganized I've ever seen? Or you were personally overwhelmed? Like you, you were in shock at the state of the room or the home? Are you kidding? I, I could write a book. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll write a book right now about that. There are hundreds and hundreds of times where I have walked into a space and I cannot believe it. I can't believe it. The thing is now though, I'm, I have that scar tissue where I really know that more people than not live in disorder. That doesn't mean that they're dysfunctional. That just means that they're living in disorder and their life could be more prosperous and efficient and whole and maybe even more peaceful if it was orderly. But again, not everybody strives for perfection. In fact, we believe that organization is not about perfection. It's about improvement. Because not everybody can live in that make-believe Instagram world. Yeah. So that's like, again, like even living in quarantine, if you have to organize your kitchen, it's about how is it going to function for you and your family? Yeah, there's a lot of things that are tips that I will say like you definitely should do because this will be very, very helpful. But not everybody, for instance, this is a perfect example, wants to put every cereal box in a plastic container and wants to put every condiment and spice in a certain area with a bin and a lid and, and labels. Not everybody likes labels. So you have to realize that, yeah, things can get cleaned up, categorized, yes. Things should be edited, yes, because we live with too much. So go through your stuff. But not everybody needs to contain the way Instagram shows a typical organizational project. And it's really unfortunate because that's what gets the most likes is like, because everybody aspires. It's like looking at celebrities. Everybody loves to look at beautiful celebrities, but do they really want that life? Yeah. I mean, like, so again, it's all about personalizing. I'm using all these words that you said that I have said <laughs> are part of the process of a full organized life because they definitely can be dissected and used and tailor-made to your lifestyle. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I've I've been in some homes, friends, family, where you go and you're like, it's so disorganized from how I like to live, but I guess it works, it works for them. And again, like we do not solicit people. We don't solicit clients. They come to us when they want to be organized. So it's not like we're pulling teeth. They're coming to us because they know that we're going to make a change. How much a change is contingent on them. And sometimes it's baby steps. Sometimes they just want to do, they just want to skim the surface. That's okay. Not everybody has to have a major transformation. Yeah. I feel like you, you can have like a TV show or a YouTube channel showing the, the transformation going in and oh my God, and then fix, <laughs> fixing it up. Yeah. Well, for anyone listening, your Instagram's amazing. It is, like I said, it's like a, so soothing to the eyes. It's almost like a meditation watching some of them, at least from my own experience. That's, that's how I felt watching some of your videos. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> we love what we do. Hopefully that's what everybody sees. What would you say is your, your favorite part of the job or the most re rewarding part of, of running your business? Hands down, my team. Like I could cry when I think about my team. Honestly, like I am a team player. You know, I am not... A dictator. I'm not an omnipotent. I didn't want a business because I, I, I love the power. I love to learn from other people. I surround myself with younger people because the energy is amazing. I love to work with people. 
So I'm a real comrade. And I would say that being a team player is one of the most important factors to being a successful business person. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I also feel like um, I loved being a mom. I still am a mom. I love raising my kids. I feel like my team are my extended family. Mm. That's how close we are. And we disagree, just like any partner in your life, you're going to disagree. But we, a lot of times, learn from everybody's opinion of how to work efficiently. And also, being a team player says a lot about your personality because uh, it's not always going to be. Everybody's not agreeing all the time. So you learn a lot about how to engage with people and respect other people. And I also think it takes, like they're saying this expression a gazillion times because of all of our setbacks in the last four months, it takes a village. And it really takes a village to be a success in anything in life. I love that. With that, this will be my my last question of the show. My podcast, Bits of Gold, is, is all about facing adversity and building your dream life. And you've certainly done that. With that being said, what would be your bits of gold on how to build your dream life or a life you love for, for our listeners? First, I think you have to, you have to know who you are. I think what's happened to this world is that people are not taking time to really identify themselves, their soul, their ambition, their lack of ambition, their shortcomings, their whole, everything about them. People are imitating other people too much. Take time, spend time alone, get to know what you really want to do in your life. Again, it's not because organization, for instance, is such a fashionable thing to do. Know what what do you want to get out of it? So think a lot about yourself. Um, Challenge yourself. Taking risks. If you're a risk taker, then opening up your own business, starting your own business is something that you should definitely engage in. No question about, but know that risk-taking is a factor that you've got to have. Not a question. Don't expect anything from anybody else. Try to do things yourself and then, you know, bring other people in because you'll learn way more about challenging yourself than being a follower. In order to be a leader, you have to learn the hard way, which is learning by doing and engaging and researching and Be willing to be shot down. Dreaming is an amazing thing, but don't dream your life away. Don't dream your life. You've got to live your life. Mm. So don't be set back by challenges. Every step back, two steps ahead. I've lived my life this way and I still live my life this way. And especially in this pandemic time, this resurgence that we're having, everything that has gone on, I see the crystal ball. There's silver lining in every single thing that has happened. One thing I want to say to you is that when I grew up, I was very protected in the world that I grew up in. I was entitled and I was protected. That whole protection and that shell and that entitlement is not who I am today. I'm so happy that I'm raising, that my kids are adults now and they can see all of what's going on now. Learning lessons that we're seeing from the pandemic, all of these things are setbacks for us today, but they're in the, in the scheme of life, they are encyclopedias of information that I never had. Mm. I was protected. I never had. We are all out for the same thing. Happiness, success, tranquility. It doesn't come easily. 
it comes at a cost. It comes at a price. And we're seeing what has happened. So make your life better. Make it better for other people. Engage. You know, be active. Don't just sit back and wait things for happen. Take charge. Don't dream your life. Live your life. Oh, I love that. Well, there you have it, folks. That was amazing. I love that so much, Lisa. Where can our listeners find you, connect with you, any place where they can uh, connect with you and get more information? Okay, so we are tremendously active on Instagram. DM us at imagine.it.done or just put in imagine it done. It will come right up. DM, we're always answering the DMs no matter what it is. We give tips all the time on our stories, which are on the highlights on the Instagram page. You're going to learn so much. Please, you know, Follow everything that we um, highlight because there's a lot of information that dates back many, many years that's in, in those highlights in case you've missed the stories. Our website is extremely conclusive about where we've been, where we are now, where we're going. There's newsletters, there's blogs. So we are informing every single day. We're also on Blog Lovin', we're on Pinterest. All of those uh, venues are extremely plentiful. They're filled with information for everybody. Love that. Well, thanks so much, Lisa. It's been an incredible hour. I'm excited to to inspire our, our fans and our audience with, with your story, your journey, and, and your business. Thank you so much. You're such a great host. You are amazing. Oh, thank you. All right. We'll speak soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Bits of Gold. I freaking love that episode with Lisa. It was without a doubt one of my favorites. We had so much fun on the hour-long interview. So many tips on life, on business, and functional tips to uh, you know go and get organized in your home. This is a great time with Corona being on lockdown in this pandemic. Take advantage. I highly, highly recommend looking at our Instagram. Imagine dot it dot done. Imagine dot it dot done. There are so many tips on there in our stories, in our past posts, and. I hope you enjoyed this one. Again, I loved it. If you like this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe. More content coming every single week and a lot more updates to come. Excited to keep pushing out new content to you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I love your podcast. This is the gold. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> 